Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. And uh, I will be reading this morning from the New American Standard Bible. Um, As I said last week, as we go through Psalm 23, I'll be reading from different translations as we go and study it. Um, Most of them you see are are quite similar. Um, There's not a lot of variance, but I think it's it's good for us to be able to see the different translations of them. Um, So New American Standard Bible is what we'll be reading from this morning. But before we uh, read God's Word together, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word. Lord, as others might look upon us and see and speak of maybe that we are foolish in in our understanding or trusting in your word, Lord, we pray that we would stand not in their words, but on your word. Lord, that we would rejoice in your word and we would search it like uh, a man search a field filled with gold. We would seek uh, your riches found within, we would meditate on the blessings in which you have given us, Lord, even of our sin and our foolishness, that it would point us all the more to Christ. Lord, let us love your word and love the gospel of which it speaks. Lord, let us praise you uh, numerous times a day as we consider what you have done for us and how you have provided for us all things. We pray now that you would provide for us help as we study your word together. Lord, give us understanding that we might be able to meditate on these words and apply them richly to our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 23. This God's holy, inerrant, infallible word, please take heed how you hear. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, Goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Ruka Salt. Many a lesson could be learned from the characters in Roald Dahl's favorite, uh, famous novel, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but. I think many will pass over Veruca, that she is quite the opposite from Charlie in many different ways. Veruca is the spoiled child, the one who rarely hears the word no. And if she does, then what she does after that is she kicks and screams until she finally hears the word yes, and she gets what she wants. From her parents' perspective, she's a darling little princess who deserves anything. And there's no price too high to pay for their darling Veruca. Now this is a fictitious story, especially one written for children. So we need to understand, as Roald Dahl often does, that his 
his characters seem what somewhat cartoonish. They're, they're larger than life. Exaggerated personalities. We need to remember the story of Veruca Salt. Now as much as I think that they're larger than life and cartoonish, I think there is a great reality that lives within Veruca Salt that we can find across even our hearts today. And the psalmist writes, the Lord is my shepherd, and he says, I shall not want. And we might think that this might be like Veruca Salt. We never hear the word no. We always get what we want. There will be nothing in our life that we will ever want. But this is the furthest from the truth. Today we will see three ways how sheep, uh, the sheep of the Good Shepherd, shall not want. Now as we mentioned before, all of this psalm hangs on that one line at the start. The Lord is my shepherd. If you miss that, you misunderstand the whole psalm. This is the glue that holds it all together. If we disconnect that one line from the second or the third or the fourth, all those lines will never make sense. Because what we think, if we think, the Lord is my shepherd, that's a nice line, but then we go out and we walk our lives and we live the life as wandering sheep, and we think if we wander as sheep, then we'll never be in want. We disconnect the first from the second, we miss it all together. That only the, the true sheep of the Lord will ever say that I shall not want. Now this line in Hebrew is merely just two words. The first is just no. Emphatic, no, not. It's quite simple. The second actually speaks of being cut short. Having a lack. You're not, you're not right there. You never have enough. But this line says that I know lack. I shall not want. Shall lack nothing might be a better way to translate it. Martin Luther expands on this line and he says that I surely, assuredly, I shall assuredly want nothing. I shall eat and drink and have an abundance of clothes, food, protection, peace, necessities of every kind which contribute to the support of life. Now I think what Martin Luther there, he does very well is he shows the fullness of this word. That it's not that he's not lacking in some areas of life, but he's not lacking in all areas of life. However, I think the weakness of Martin Luther's uh, example is that he often focuses on the horizontal, the things of the physical. That we will not need those things. I said prefer Stevenson, John Stevenson's explanation of this line. Whatever may be the troubles and difficulties, the straits and challenges of my future life, I know my heavenly shepherd will not withdraw his watchful care, nor withhold any blessing that shall be really needful either for my body or for my soul. We think that second explanation expands on the first, that wholeness, that fullness, but not only just for my body, but also for my soul. That the sheep of the shepherd will lack nothing. And we need to stop here and be reminded that sheep often have very few things on their mind. The sheep watches the surroundings. Uh, 
they really want food. The shepherd is far above the sheep. The shepherd is watching the weather, the clouds in the sky, the surroundings for dangers, even planning ahead to be able to see where we might be going. The, shepherd sits there, the sheep sits there and eats their blades of grass. So today I want to focus on this psalm, or this section of this psalm, not on the perspective of the sheep, but rather on the perspective of the shepherd and what he knows is best for the sheep. So as we unpack this verse together, we need to focus not on the sheep, but on the shepherd. Because this line will never make sense. We do not know that line before, the Lord is my shepherd. The first thing that we see in this line is the shepherd loves the best. The shepherd loves the best. We need to consider the sheep's needs. We need to think of the shepherd's love for the sheep. Baruch Assault's parents thought the best way to love their child was giving her anything that she asked for. And asked for is probably not a very good term. Demanded for is more the correct term. Now, we might even hear this today. I just want them to be happy. Parents, grandparents, this is all they want for their children. I want them to be happy. Happiness is the ultimate goal. And if they're not happy, then they're lacking for something. But I think even good intentions, well intentions, do not then mean good actions or good outcomes. But the shepherd loves the sheep. Now when we think of what we do not have, we come not with an attitude of assuming God's love towards us. But actually the opposite. When we think that we lack something, we question God's love towards us. That God would love us more or God's love would be more favorable upon us if we had this thing. And we assume that God is withholding something from us. But again, this is terrible theology. No one would ultimately utter that. That is what is underneath what we say. It's too common in us all, sadly. I think this is why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he said that I have learned to be content. The contentment is not something that is just merely a light bulb that comes on. It is something that we learn. It's not natural to the sinful man to be content. As one needs to go to college to get a degree, the Christian must go to the college of learning contentment. This is far greater than a four-year college. This is a lifetime of distant learning. And we see this discontentment even right at the fall. In the Garden of Eden, at the end of creation, God said, He looked at it, He said, all of it is very good. And in Genesis chapter 2, it explains the garden. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, And out of the ground of the Lord, the Lord made spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Not only are trees meant to be eaten, but there's beauty to be beheld. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river flowed out of the garden, and the water of the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was Pishon. 
And it was the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good. There's three stones there. And then the name of the second river is Gihon. And there it flowed around the whole land of Cush. And here you see this garden. It doesn't take long for us to be able to picture this moment. All these trees, good to look at, good to eat. All these things to explore. All these animals around Him. And then Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Explain the Lord commanded the man saying, You shall may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. The day of you eat of it you shall surely die. But remember what the serpent does. The serpent doesn't come and says, Look at all that God has given to you. Look at all this abundance of gold and all these beautiful plants and all these fruit to be able to eat. What does he come? He comes and points out the one thing that God said you should not eat. He doesn't focus his eyes to loving God and what God has provided for him. And he doubts and he questions and says, well, if God really loved you, He would let you eat of this tree. The serpent comes and plants the seed of doubt within them. And he tells Eve, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice how the serpent comes and says, you lack something. Your loving God who created you hasn't given you all that you need. You need something else. God is withholding something good from you. And Satan hasn't changed his ways ever since that garden. He still plants that seed of doubt within us and says there's something good that God is not giving you. And we think contentment is found when we find more things. When we get finally what we want. The contentment, true contentment, is actually trusting God now with what we have. Jeremiah Burroughs, in his classic work, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, says that contentment is never found by addition, it's always found by subtraction. He says this, But now contentment doth not come in that way. It comes not in, I say, by adding what thou wantest, but by the subtraction of thy desires. It is all one to a Christian, either that I may get up, unto what I would have, or I get my desires down to what I have. Either that I may obtain what I desire, or bring down my desires to what I have already attained. My estate is the same. For it was uh, sustainable to me to desire my desire down to my condition, as it is to raise up my condition to my desire. And what he says is, you will never find contentment if you bring, always seek to be able to get what your desires want because your desires are like this never-ending vacuum. There is always something else you will want and desire. Always another thing. A bigger house, a better job. Always something. And, and Jeremiah Burris explains it. It's not by addition, it's by subtraction. 
The issue is not whether God gives us what we want. The issue is what we want from God. We do not need more things. We need fewer things. Again, this is the next to impossible task as we walk in this world. Think about the fundamental reality of any single advertisement you have ever seen. Any single advertisement says, we have something you need or want. Any single one. Whether it's a physical product, or a service, medication, whatever it may be, the advertisement revolves around one certain thing. Give us money and we'll give you contentment. We'll we'll make you happy. Right? It's not that you need this blender. You can go buy any blender. You need this special blender. This blender will make you a happy family. With no arguments, no noise, whatever it may be. And this is a never-ending cycle. There's always another advertisement to come. But Psalm 23 says the opposite, that the the good shepherd provides for his sheep in a loving manner, and they will not need anything. And before the psalmist mentions the green grass, the still waters, he makes a bold statement that he lacks for nothing. The same author who writes that he leads me by still waters, he makes me lie down in green pastures, is the same author who says that he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. The more we understand God and His character, His goodness and love towards His sheep, we think of all His provision towards us. Next is chapter 16, when the Lord provides manna to the people in the wilderness. Moses explains, even those who gather just a small amount lacked for nothing. Throughout the 40 years of walking through the wilderness, the people of God lacked nothing. Now, that does not mean they were content. I want to think and consider something throughout the rest of the day. Think about what angers the Lord in Numbers chapter 11. What kindles the anger of the Lord in Numbers chapter 11, right at the very first verse it says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled. And the Lord of fire burned among them and they consumed some outlying parts of the camp. You think about what fueled God's anger here. What did the people do? They weren't going out, murdering all these other people. They weren't lying, stealing, cheating. They were complaining about God and how God did not love them and provide enough for them. They questioned the shepherd's love for the sheep. Not only does the shepherd loves the best, he knows the best. That's the second thing this morning. Underlying all of this that we know better than God. Think about the people of Israel's complaint in Exodus chapter 16 against Moses and Aaron when they said, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. 
have this memory of what it is to be a slave under the oppressive hand of Pharaoh and all the work that he made them do, and he, they think of meat pots. But were they lacking anything? They had everything they needed. They're only thinking of one thing at that moment. Food. God had provided for them all these types of food. But just like Esau, they despised their birthright for a meal. They would have rather been enslaved in Egypt than across the wilderness to the promised land where milk and honey flows. However, God knows best. He knows where His sheep need to be. Even you see this in this psalm as it begins in green pastures and ends in the house of the Lord. There is this period in the middle. Verse 4 and 5. A time when he's surrounded by enemies. A time when he's walking through the valley of death. Jesus the Good Shepherd says that I know my sheep. As his sheep are worried about what's for dinner that day, God is leading them to a place where they will never hunger and never thirst. Psalm 78 explains it like this. And he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safely. so They were not afraid of the sea that overwhelmed their enemies. He brought them to His holy land, the mountain which His right hand had won. Like a shepherd through the wilderness, the Lord leads the people of Israel. doesn't mean they utter Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Ian Campbell put it this way, God shepherded His people all the way to their destination. If we are in His flock, that will be our life story. He may take us down roads we never expected to travel or ever have chosen for ourselves. But He will guide us to that final destination. We must not just trust in His goodness, but also His knowledge. We might not see that green patch of grass before us, but we know our shepherd is leading. He knows what we need, and he loves us all the same. At the end of Jacob's life, he explains to Pharaoh when he meets Pharaoh, and he explains his life in, in different ways. He says, The days of my years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my life, years of my life. They had not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourn. He explains that his days are few, especially compared to his father Isaac and his uh, grandfather um, Abraham and even Terah. But also he explains that his days have been evil. Think of Jacob's life. They weren't necessarily a walk in the park, but quite the opposite. Conflict with his brother. Conflict with his father-in-law Laban. All of these things. Never an easy life. But when he blesses Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, in Genesis chapter 48, he explains this. The God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, he looks back on his days and he thinks of, how God has been His shepherd, even 
in those days of evil and how the angel has redeemed him from this. The third thing that we see, not only the shepherd loves the best, the shepherd knows the best, but also the shepherd gives the best. Finally, we have no lack because the good shepherd gives the best. John 10, 27-28 says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We lack for nothing because we are given everything. We love passages like Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. A plan to give you a future and a hope. Or Romans 8.28. And we know that those who love the Lord, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. However, the Bible and God has never promised us a life with no suffering. Actually, the message of the Bible, I would say, is quite the opposite. That the believer will never find comfort in this world. Because this world is not their home. This world is merely a tent, a a road in which we pass through. The wilderness. But notice in those two passages, what they rely on. Jeremiah, it says that, I know the plans I have for you. Notice how he doesn't say, You know the plans I have for you. God knows the plans that He has for you. And the plans ultimately are for your future and a hope. Not necessarily in that time. In Jeremiah 29, He then speaks about going into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Not a time of joyful bliss, you might say. Being kicked out of your country. Transported to another. Made slaves, workers in a foreign land, and even in Paul in Romans chapter 28. He then says, we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. But also notice where Paul says that not all things are good, but all all things have a purpose. They will be good in the end. Because God has a plan. And you continue in Romans chapter 8, and his plan is not about what you have today. He goes into that golden chain of salvation. That ultimately we will be glorified. He gives the best eternal life. You find an advertisement that promises that, and I'll point you to a liar. Do we see in this life suffering and persecution? Although they're never good in themselves, God has a plan and a purpose. As the author of Hebrews says, that the discipline of God is painful rather than pleasant. A promise of God. That because He loves His sheep, He gives His sheep the best, as a loving Father does, He will discipline His children. And the author of Hebrews explains that discipline is not pleasant. It's painful. look at more of this later in this psalm, but the 
point I seek to be able to make today is the shepherd gives the best to his sheep. In this life, we receive the best from God, even if we do not think we need it. Ruka Salt did not need the golden goose. Her parents thought giving her everything is a way to be able to show her love. We know quite the opposite. But biblically, those who normally have everything the world has to offer have no need for God. And that's actually what they need. When we say the Lord is my shepherd, we ultimately need to then follow and say that we will lack for nothing. He provides everything that we need. He does not provide for the wants in which our wants are sinful desires. But He also has given us the greatest gift of all. The glorious inheritance of all the saints. Once we ponder that statement, the Lord is my shepherd then we begin to understand and learn who this good shepherd is, we realize that we will be lacking in nothing. That the shepherd loves the best. He knows the best. He gives the best. And where else would we go? We would still be sheep in need of a shepherd. But who would you turn? Even John Stevenson explains at the end of his chapter, and he has these beautiful headings which I think unpack this glorious thought. He says that happy is the believer. Happy and blessed is the true believer. Because he can look upward. And he looks upward and sees Christ seated on high at the right hand of the Father. And Christ says, ask me of anything. He mediates for his people. He says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts. How much more does your loving Father in heaven know how to give? Christ seated on high as the mediator. All power, glory, and honor belong to Him. We then say, I shall not want. We look downward to earth. We look at how the sparrows are given enough to be able to survive. We look at the beautiful and the, the beautiful nature around us, the lily-clothed fields. We look at God, how He has given us the ability to be able to work or cultivate things. We say that I shall not want. We look inward, kindled in our soul, new desires that come within us. That desire to be able to see sin, to hate sin, but also to flee from sin as well. How can we not say that I shall not want? We look backward to our past and we see how God has redeemed us throughout all our troubles and afflictions like Jacob was able to say that he is his shepherd who has seen him through these days of evil. That we were all lost and wandering sheep. But we are brought home to be with the shepherd. That he paid for our sin and our folly in full. That I was once an enemy of his, but now I am a child of God. We look forward that He has promised that He would be by our side every day of our life. In the darkest of nights, in the longest of winters, as we walk and see the sanctification from our sin, as we long and have that hope for heaven, that ember within our bellies, flickering. But also if we look even further, 
onward towards the future forever. That ember sparks to a flame. That faith becomes sight. as the threshold of eternity where sin, sickness, and sorrow are no more. We would say, I shall not want. What a joyous thing for us to be able to think and consider as the Lord is our shepherd. That we will be wanting and lacking for nothing because He loves the best, He knows the best, and He gives the best. One of the greatest hymn writers, William Cowper, has translated a hymn entitled Contentment. Sadly, we don't sing this often. This poem or hymn speaks of this great truth and portion of the 23rd Psalm, I shall not want. O Lord, how full of sweet content our years of pilgrimage are spent. Where'er we dwell, we dwell with Thee, in heaven, in earth, or on the sea. To us remains nor place nor time. Our country is in ever clime. We can be calm and free from care on any shore since God is there. While place we seek or sun we, place we shun, the soul finds happiness in none. But with our God, to guide our way, tis equal joy to go or stay. Could we be cast where Thou art not, that we were indeed a dreadful lot. But religions non-remote we call, secure to finding God in all. What a challenging verse it is to be able to say, I shall not want. When we ponder what the Good Shepherd has done for us, we will joyfully exclaim, I shall not want. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious and loving Father, we give You thanks and praise. Even for a difficult verse like this where we see our evil desires of our hearts in in wanting and, and thinking that we need things that You have not given us. Forgive us of those times where we have questioned Your love and Your knowledge, Your goodness towards us. Help us to be able to bring our desires down. To be able to see and be content, as Paul did, to be content in all situations and circumstances. Help us to think of all the blessings You have given us. Help us to walk in this life, looking for the life to come, which is given by You, which is eternal life. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.